The Big Ten sets its COVID forfeit policy. The conference is working on an alliance with a couple of its uh, brother conferences, and we'll take a look at Ohio State's obscenely talented roster. All that and more in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm co-host Andy Vance, along with Kevin, the CEO, Harish. Kevin, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting time that we are in. We're now, what, basically a week away from foot hitting the ball. Football is almost here and the Big Ten finally got around to deciding how it would handle this situation if a team isn't able to compete due to COVID-19. Number one, I just chuckle that the Big Ten is, I, I don't know if they're literally the last one to the party, but I, you know, on one hand, I'm surprised they didn't just wait until next, old, say, Wednesday. <laughs> but it is kind of funny to me that here we are a week out from college football and they're finally getting around to setting policy policy as it is says that uh, games will not be rescheduled if teams are unable to play due to COVID-19 and the team that in essence has to forfeit due to COVID will take a loss in the conference schedule did the conference get it right or or is this another example of uh, headquarters bungling the message yeah I mean I, I think it's I think it's uh, it seems to be in line with what everybody else is doing. So in that sense, I think it's fine. I, what concerns me is like, oh, so like say Ohio State's 90% vaccinated right now. Are we going to start testing vaccinated players if for, for like the virus? Are we going to start testing healthy vaccinated players that have no symptoms for the virus? Because I, I don't know, I, I would just hate to see a team that has essentially like a full roster of vaccinated, healthy players get to like have to forfeit a game because of an asymptomatic, you know, spread through the program that really isn't any danger or anything like that. Like that's my concern because like, I don't know, I, but like to the same, I don't think that there's really been announced like any testing protocol or anything like that. I, I don't think vaccinated players are going to have to be tested or anything like that. So I don't know. I, I, I think that's my one concern, but other than that, like I'm, I'm totally fine with, uh, if you're the team that has to, um, cause the game to be canceled, like I'm totally fine with that being a forfeit. That's how it is with pretty much every other scenario. So now that there is a way to avoid this, I think that, uh, that's entirely fair. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent that this was the right move in terms of the, the win loss column and in rescheduling the games, absolutely the right way to roll. But uh, I, I read you loud and clear there, there doesn't seem to be where last year it, it felt like, okay, teams had very uh, specific protocols for testing and here's what a quarantine would look like. And here's how that's handled. Um, that wasn't necessarily uniform across the sport, of course, but it, this, this feels like the conference is basically delegating to the individual schools, do whatever you want to do. Just know if you can't perform, <laughs> you're taking the L. So yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of moral hazard involved there, right? On the one hand, uh, what's the benef benefit of testing? Well, it's to limit the spread. O on the other hand, <laughs> you know, a, uh, a, a famous person once said, you know, the case numbers would be a lot lower if we just stopped testing people. So maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's what we're doing here. In, in all, all seriousness, no. Uh, Coach Day said this week or, or indicated in the press uh, availabilities at camp that, there are maybe 10 or, or fewer players who have not yet been vaccinated. So you'd like to think Ohio State is in pretty good position in terms of keeping players healthy as, as we get the season underway. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's really going to be a concern. I would be shocked if we're in a scenario at any point this year where, you know, we're waiting to see if Ohio State's going to be healthy enough to play a game. But, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, you know. I, who, who's to say? I, at this point, nothing would surprise me um, after how last year played out. You know, now, the, uh, I'm just the, taking the, it day by day. The conference that has uh, serious, <laughs> has gotten serious about making sure teams understand that they needed to get their players in line, get vaccinated, and stay healthy was the Southeastern Conference, reportedly, according to uh, the Athletics' Andy Staples, reportedly uh, working through its game cancellation policy. And considering uh, an option that if the team forfeits and costs the league TV money, the school will receive a smaller share of revenue than the teams that didn't forfeit. The, the old adage, hit them, <laughs> hit them where it counts, right? Hit them in the pocketbook. Uh, I actually thought that was a pretty good proposal because ultimately, 
you know, everybody lost money. And I say everybody, meaning, meaning the schools, the conferences, the TV networks, everybody lost money last year when games couldn't be played because of, of COVID. So this seems like a logical application of economic policies made sense to me to make sense to you. Yeah. It makes sense to me. If, if you can't pay or if you can't perform the thing that's bringing in revenue, then why would you get the revenue? I mean, it's the, the simplest form of capitalism. In other conference news, the alliance we talked about in previous episodes between the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC is reportedly in the works. According to Nicole Arbach at The Athletic, the conferences could announce an alliance as soon as this week. Uh, we haven't heard anything at uh, press time more specific than that. Uh, you and I talked about this quite a bit um, in, in previous episodes. We won't belabor the point now except to say uh, it, it sounds like maybe this thing is, is moving to fruition. What do you, do you seriously think we would see any kind of announcement made before the season starts? Or is this just one of those things that I think gets, uh, that, that you think gets pushed off, uh, to another off season or, or later in the season when there's, you know, not, not, uh, as much, oh, let's say, you know, momentum going toward the idea of playing football. I, you know, I think that, I don't think that they're necessarily rushing to get the Alliance done, but I think it is good for PR as you head into the college football season that the Alliance is done before the college football season, because that way, like for months, you're not going to hear people talking about how the SEC added Texas and Oklahoma, but you know, you don't have anything to kind of balance that out in the news. But like now when you're, when you hear broadcasters talking about how Texas and Oklahoma are going to be joining the SEC you're going to have, well, and also, you know, like the big 10 pack 12 and uh, ACC kind of punched back. They're all going to like, you know, you just kind of have some balancing news there because uh, those things inevitably get brought up in broadcasts casually and stuff like that. And um, I don't think it's like vitally important, but I wouldn't be shocked if they're thinking about something along those lines as they're, uh, they're getting it done. I don't think it's necessarily, a, there's a practical reason to get it done before the season, but I think there is a PR reason. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, also, because you're exactly right, that's one of those little tidbits that that gets dropped into a broadcast when there's a low lull in the action or garbage time as, as there will be, you know, early uh, in the season, some of these non-conference games. The, the other thing I was thinking about, too, is a really interesting time to be the Big 12 uh, news out on Monday that Oliver Luck, the uh, kind of raconteur when it comes to college athletic administrations, he's been around the bend and been in a few different jobs. Uh, but Oliver Luck is is apparently consulting with the Big Twelve. Uh, one of our colleagues posed the question as if this uh, kind of signifies the end of days for Bob Bowlesby, Big Twelve Conference Commissioner. And and my thought is, yeah, it probably does. If you had your choice between Bob Bowlesby, the guy who oversaw Texas and Oklahoma basically imploding the conference or Oliver Luck, a guy who seems to be generally pretty well regarded in the sport. If I had to pick, I think I'd probably go with Mr. Luck. Yeah. Do you think, do you think Bowlesby loses his job over this debacle? I mean, he should, you just lost like the two most important teams to the, to your conference to the point that like no other conference wants to even like do business with you anymore. So like, he should lose his job, but like, I don't even really think that practically matters because the big 12 is like the glorified AAC at this point. Like, you know, I, I don't, why would anybody watch the big 12 at this point? You've got Iowa state, Iowa state is the best team in the big 12 at this point. Like I, I, I'm, I have no reason to care about the big 12. So I, I think in one hand, like, yeah, like he should get fired, but like, on the other hand, it's kind of too late at this point. Like the, the big 12 is essentially dead. You know, and it's a heck of a it's a heck of a thing to think at the start of the playoff era, the Big 12 actually had kind of a good thing going. You know, if you if you think about that season and and you know, TCU and Baylor fans will 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 curse and and rail. Uh, but I mean, there was serious talk that both those teams should be in the playoff. And and as we know, Ohio State got the nod instead because the Big 12 totally mucked up the idea of having a conference champion. And one to hand out, you know, we'll all be champions, champions. Um, but, you know, the, you had those two teams were riding pretty high. Of course, Texas and Oklahoma are big brands. It wasn't that far removed that Silo Tech, a.k.a. Kansas State, was doing 
pretty darn well. Uh, and, and now it just seems like, yeah, it's all gone, you know, to crap. And, and I think where Bowlesby really, you know, kind of gets shanked here, if Texas walks away, the money hurts, but nobody really likes Texas all that much yeah. outside of Texas. Um, but losing Oklahoma was a big deal. Right. It's a national perception too. Like I, I don't think it, it's it, it losing Texas is like losing Michigan, like to, to the big 10, right. It sucks, but like you'll live. Um, and that, that's just from a money perspective, a prestige perspective, but like losing Oklahoma is like losing Ohio state. Like Oklahoma is like their Ohio state right now. That's what competes for national titles. That's what brings in five-star recruits. Like they, they've got nothing at this point. And it's, it's not that there's like not some fine football teams in that conference, but like, again, like look at the big 10, if it lost Ohio state and Michigan, you've got cool Penn state. And I, I don't even think that there's a Penn state in the big 12 right now. Yeah. And the thing that I, I think still surprises me about this whole situation with the big 12 is that the powers that be in the states of Oklahoma and Texas let this happen because, you know, one state school is, is sort of kneecapping the other in the case of Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, because you're right. So big, big 12 is, you know, now, and, and that's bad for Oklahoma state, although maybe they look at it and say, Hey, great. Now we can step into the void here. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, Mike Gundy's mullet magic could, could, you know, make them the next, Oklahoma, I guess. Uh, but then, you know, obviously the Texas schools, TCU and Baylor, uh, all up kneecapped by, uh, the Longhorns getting out of Dodge too. I, I just am still really surprised that the, the, you know, boards of regents or the, you know, governor or the legislatures or somebody, the, the political situation in Texas is, you know, weird when it comes to college football anyway, but I'm, I'm really surprised those two States didn't, you know, the powers that be didn't step in and intervene in this situation. Maybe they didn't, maybe they couldn't, maybe they didn't know anything about it. All right, let's move on to some, uh, some talk about actual football. As I mentioned, we're just a little more than a week away from Ohio state heading to the twin cities to take on the golden gophers in the season opener. And, you know, Dan hope had a great piece, Kevin, this week, taking a look at Ohio state's roster. And the thing that blew my mind, two little tidbits, uh, as Dan looked at the roster is that 60% of Ohio State's players are, are four-star recruits, and there are nearly as many five-star recruits on the roster as there are three-stars. Uh, is, is, is this the most talented roster in the history of, of Ohio State football? I mean, is this, is this just what we should expect, um, you know, forever, or, or uh, that just, those two stats just blew me away when I read that article? Well, I, I think the thing is too, like, if you actually look at where that talent is, like the, 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 where the talent is centralized, it's young. Like it's not, we're not talking like seniors either. Like they've just collected these five stars that are still on the roster. Like for the most part, they're freshmen, sophomores. And I guess there's a few juniors too. Like it's not the majority of the five stars are underclassmen. So like, yeah, it's the most, I think like from, from just a star ratings perspective, it's gotta be the most talented roster in Ohio state history, mm -hmm. but it's still young. Like you're, you're almost like talking, I don't even, I think we're even like younger than like super softs at this point, like that'll be next year. So like it's, it's loaded. And some of these guys are going to play this, like it's going to be impossible to keep a lot of these guys off the field, but um, you know, for the next three years, this team is going to be absolutely loaded. And I think like uh, what I've noticed from, the the average Ohio State fan is they don't really seem to comprehend what like a five-star prospect means and like there's only like 32 of those in every recruiting class and so if Ohio <laughs> like like I, I don't I don't like there's people who get mad at like oh only I've seen people in like previous classes oh they only had two 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 five stars in this class like there's there's 32 of them like what you know there's there's how many 132 college division one college football programs. <laughs> right, right. And so like if Ohio state's breaking in, like, I think was it seven, something like something absurd. It was either five. I think it's five, five, five stars like that. That's insane. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't think that it's adequately appreciated how, especially at the top uh, talented this class is, but like to have more, almost more five-star prospects than three-star prospects, like that's like incomprehensible. 
yeah, that was the one that blew my mind. I'm like, I, I knew the bulk of the roster was probably four and five stars. I mean, 60% of the roster coming in at four stars, still pretty incredible. Yeah. That's not because, uh, because I mean, I, we all remember like, you know, Jim, Jim Trestle's mantra was, you know, build the wall and then go out and find the handful of, you know, go out and find a Terrell Pryor. go, yeah. you know, go get, get the best, best players in the country, but, but build the wall. And that, that hasn't been the philosophy for, for a while, although uh, it did my heart good in that same article um, Dan highlighted the number of players, a uh, number of schools, rather high schools that had multiple Buckeyes. And, and of course, Ohio was very well represented in that regard. Certainly, um, you, you know, you would expect that, but the, the uh, schools like Massillon and then of course the Cincinnati area schools and Gelder and Sal and uh, Central Ohio schools, Dublin and, and uh, New Albany and Pick Central and so on. Uh, so that, that that did my heart good to see that. Which, but that's what you would expect too. At the same at the same time, uh, all that to say, when Ohio State meets up with Minnesota, they're going to by far have the more talented roster. And that I mean that really should be the case. I think in every game during the regular season. I mean, oh, I haven't looked at Oregon's roster in terms of star count. I mean, but that would be the only team I suppose I would expect to come to come really even close. Right. Yeah. It's it, that's not even going to be anywhere close. I mean, Oregon. Yeah. Or, but, but I mean, Oregon it's not going to be a fine. big 10 team, right? No, it won't be. Um, I, I, I think that's okay. It, I yeah. I think, I think Penn state's probably next, um, but it's not Michigan. Say, yeah. It, it's certainly not Michigan. <laughs> Michigan's out there uh, recruiting two and three stars. From Michigan has more three stars than they have, you know, four stars, five stars put together yeah. you know, for, 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 for sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know. And I, I think like the more interesting thing is like if Ohio state could only start it's, well, I guess you couldn't make an entire starting roster out of the freshman class, but like, I'd feel good about like just this 2021 class. If every one of these guys had to start or like play a significant, like play a significant time, like this class is so talented. I'd feel good about just like rolling with like, you know, uh, Travion Henderson is starting running back. Kyle McCord starting quarterback. Jacqueline Johnson cornerback. You know, um, Denzel Burke cornerback. Evan Pryor is a backup running like Reed Carrico, like Marvin Harrison Jr., Jaden Ballard, Emeka Ibuka. Like, I th- that's that's a good starting lineup. Like, I I would be fine. I I feel like Ohio State could beat almost anybody on their roster if they just like put these guys in the in the. Uh, the the starting spots so i i think that just goes to say like how loaded that these this roster is because those guys like they're going to push for time but like they're not coming in as starters either mm-hmm. yeah you're it's super young class and and at the same time could hang with just about anybody in the kind of super young roster i mean to say and at the same time yeah you're right those those new recruits or younger players uh could hang with anybody in the conference and almost anybody in the country it's pretty it's pretty wild uh how good are they well four of ohio state's headliners earned preseason ap all-american honors chris Olave and haskell garrett on the first team garrett wilson and thera munfer on the second team the ap uh released their selections on monday and um, you know pretty good players ohio state is one of eight schools with at least two first team selections iowa state and notre dame each have three you know you were dogging on Iowa State earlier, uh, the Cyclones, my friend, apparently have got it going on. Uh, Alabama's a Clemson, LSU, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M joined the Buckeyes as teams with two on the um, AP preseason All-Americans. I mean, that those are those are the names that we expect to hear called quite a lot this, this season, kind of backbone-type players. Anybody that you thought might make a preseason All-American list that didn't show up uh, among those names that came out Monday? Um. I don't know. I, I, I think it's the uh, Petit Frere, Nicholas Petit Frere doesn't get enough love if I had to pick somebody. Um, you know, I think that he's every bit as talented as Thayer Munford, maybe not the household name, but I, I think both of those guys are extremely talented. Um, I guess maybe Zach Harrison could be a guy that could get some of that, that preseason recognition. Um, I, to be fair, he hasn't, like, it's not really like he showed he didn't necessarily earn that last year. I think yeah. that's just more speculation of how freakishly athletic and talented and he is more than it is um, a reflection of what he did last year. But I, I think 
if there's any guy, any, any guy who's been snubbed in these preseason awards, I think it's uh, um, Nicholas Petit Frere. I like that. I like that name. Uh, I think, I think that's a good choice. Uh, and, and of course the other thing that the AP selections reminded me is that Ohio state really does have the best wide receiver core in the country, Olave and Wilson. I mean, that's the best one, two punch for the money in my book. And, and I don't think that's a controversial take how good, how good is this team? Well, let's, let's uh, continue. We got the news that you and I have talked about the last two weeks we've been saying it was all but a done deal that cj stroud would be the starting quarterback for ohio state season opener coach day uh, made it so officially uh, last week i don't know that there's a whole lot to say about the four-star quarterback uh, you know it's funny we've been talking about him as kind of the obvious heir apparent uh, uh when i was looking at those recruits article two of his teammates in the uh, in the quarterback room, uh, Mr. McCord and Mr. Ewers are five-star recruits. Uh, while Mr. Stroud was just, just quote unquote, a four-star quarterback in the recruiting class of, of 2020. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see Stroud take the field. I, I know you are as well. I don't want to delaver the point, but belabor the point any, um, the other news that came out this week was Ohio state's six captains. What do you, what do you think about this, Kevin? Like, is, is is having a, a half dozen captains? I remember Urban Meyer one year rolled out. It felt like twenty seven captains. Um, it just seems like a lot of guys to be named captain for me. Has this become one of those things that's just you you reward um, leadership by by naming captains? Does everybody do six captains this year? Now I don't follow what other teams are doing. Um, is that about right? To be honest, I don't really know. I don't I don't follow what other teams are doing. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I've never really been bothered by how many captains there are. Um, honestly, like I think it would make sense in my mind to have nine captains and to have just one captain of each unit. Oh, I, like I think that. that I think that would make all the sense in the world. But then, I mean, you end up kind of forcing guys into into roles that I mean, it, like who's to say that you your three big biggest leaders on the team aren't wide receivers. So mm-hmm. that kind of forces it. But I, I don't I don't really see a problem with um, with more than, you know, a two, three captains. Like I, I, I think that a football team is so big and there's yeah. so much room for leadership and that it's, it's tough to like put a put a limit on that. You know, I, I dig your idea. I kind of hope that uh, somebody that matters is, is listening and says, oh, we should take this back to headquarters and and put this into play. You know, captain from from each unit. That's uh that's clever. I like that. Uh, the captain's name, Thayer Munford, Chris Olave, Zach Harrison, Haskell Garrett, Taraja Mitchell, Mitchell and uh, Cameron Babb. Um, I, I don't think any surprises there on, on that list, were there? Well, Cameron Babb. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that one kind of came out of nowhere because um, for, for a lot of people, he, I mean, a lot of fans probably don't even know who that is. He has never really um, – contributed for the Buckeyes that uh, he's on his fourth ACL injury since high school at this point. So um, I, I think if there's any name that's kind of shocking, it's Cameron Babb, but at the same time, a guy like that who sticks around the program and makes an impact that clearly he's made an impact on his teammates. It really shouldn't come as a surprise, but I mean, when we got the list, I'm scrolling through, I'm like, Oh, wow. That was kind of unexpected. Um, yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's one of those names that I guess you it kind of, you've gotten used to seeing when he was a top 100 prospect, uh, you know, highly, highly regarded guy coming into the room. And, and there again, you know, you don't necessarily know what kind of leader a guy like that is behind the scenes. Maybe that's one of those things that, you know, you're, you're trying to do right by a guy who's been plagued with, uh, with, with three season ending knee injuries. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Um, yeah, man. Good luck to that guy. That's, yeah, that's right. Ryan, Ryan day did say that he's just, he just, uh, in, on, in his, uh, radio show on Monday night that, um, you know, he, he, he is injured, but he's working towards playing this season. Like he's not written off playing this season. So, yeah. um, that'd be great to a great story to see him on the field. Cause I mean, I remember when he first came, even as a true freshman, there are reports out of camp that he looked really good and, mm-hmm. um, people were excited about him. So I, it, it really sucks. You hate to see guys like that. And, and you know what? There've been a lot of guys who've been injured early in their career. And 
um, finished out their careers really strong. You look at uh, Justin Hilliard and Johnny Dixon, like guys like that. So it's not out of the question um, that he mm-hmm. could make make a, an impact late. So it, it is good to see him getting recognized. All right. Now I want to get into something really important. This is where we're going to spend, uh, you know, we've kind of gotten through the, the headlines of the week, but the, the, the area where I really want to spend our time tonight is, is getting you to make your, your bold predictions. Um, Garrick Hodge uh, at 11warriors.com had uh, a great preview this week of uh, what our colleagues on the editorial staff thought about the college football playoff and predictions for this year's Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, you and I were about the only two guys on staff who studiously abstained from this exercise. Um, and, and so I thought we should, we should own up and, and make our, our predictions now. Uh, so number one, um, did, did, did you, have you put any thought into who you think will make the playoff? Uh, let's start with the playoff. We'll come to the Heisman in a minute. So your, your thoughts or predictions on the four teams who will be left standing when the dust settles in December. You know, it's, it's hard not to just go chalk here and go Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma. I mean, I, there's like been nothing the past few years that gives me any indication that it's not going to be those teams, but we do have like a few early season matchups that could make things a little interesting there. I mean, you've got Oklahoma against Mm -hmm. Iowa state, you've got um, Georgia and Clemson playing. Um, So I I don't know. I, I, I think it, since I just don't want to be the same person as everybody else, I'm going to go my field. I'm not, I'm not even going to bother seeding these, but my field's going to be Ohio state, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, and I guess Clemson will get in there too. The, the, those will be my guys. I'll, I'll, I'll put I'll put Georgia in over Alabama. Um, I think that Georgia has, honestly, the, this should be one of their most talented rosters since Kirby Smart's taken over. And Alabama is kind of having a down year this year um, as, as, as much as Alabama can have a down year. So if there is any year that Georgia gets the nod over Alabama, this is going to be the year. Um, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that that's going to happen, but, uh, I guess gun to my head, this is the year that the year of the dogs, you know, and, and I would, I was all ready to dismiss that pick as you spending too much time in, in the South. I, I was, I was ready to do that. And, and then a guy that I respect as much or more than anybody else on our esteemed staff, uh, also picked the dogs over Alabama. And that would be Mr. Kyle Jones, uh, who has forgotten more about the schematics and inner working of big time football than most of us will ever know. And that gave me cause to reconsider simply putting you on blast my young friend, because, you know, <laughs> uh, Kyle's right more than he's wrong. And, and so if the two of you are saying Georgia over Alabama, then maybe I, a, a humble podcast host should reconsider my stance. Uh, I, I, however, would go chalk all the way down the board, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and, and Ohio state. Now, the thing that, um, I, I thought was really interesting as I look through our staff picks is that um, for the most part, people were, were taking Alabama over Ohio state in the last game. Um, I, I think Ramsey who admitted to uh, <laughs> his blind Homerism um, in the, uh, in, in his piece, everybody pretty well put Alabama over Ohio state, just on the general assumption that Alabama uh, is the right pick nine times out of 10. So just ride with the hot hand. I, I actually kind of like Ohio state's chances here. Uh, yes. It's a young team. Yes. It is uh, a team that is starting a new quarterback for the first time. Uh, but the last everyone time, is. but everyone is, everyone is. And Ohio state has, you know, 47, four and five star quarterbacks on, on the roster. So having a young one, isn't necessarily a big problem. The last time Ohio state won a national championship, it took three quarterbacks to do the job. So, you know what? I, I, I like the Buckeyes chances. Um, but I, but I do hear what you're saying about Georgia over Alabama. I just can't, I can't, I can't pull the lever to, to go against the greatest to ever do it. Uh, I know there are a lot of people that like to hate on Nick Saban. I, I can't, I know he's, he's great. 
he, I mean, he, I don't, if, if you don't think he is the best to ever do it, I'm not sure your rationale, you know, like yeah. to me, it's pretty conclusive. Like for a lot of years, I, who am not a Tom Brady fan, um, was happy to make the argument that almost that anybody, but you know, but Tom Brady, like pick, pick a quarterback. You want to talk about Peyton Manning? You want to talk about you know, Terry Bradshaw? You want to talk about, I don't care. Just pick one. And I'll be like, Oh, here are the 27 reasons they're better than Tom Brady. I can't do that anymore. Like no, to, to me, like that's a closed, like to me, that's a closed case. Right. Um, so let's just stick with the MJ and LeBron argument because, because that's way more entertaining than, yeah. than, than Tom Brady or Nick Saban at this point. I, the, t- I was, I was all prepared for Bill Belichick, you know, to, to add Bill Belichick in that. And then now I'm now, now I'm like, well, okay, maybe Belichick's secret sauce was just Tom was Brady. Just Brady. Maybe it was, yeah. I didn't yeah. want to believe that for a long, long time. Um, but maybe it was, I don't know. So, so playoff picks, I think we're pretty well on the same page, but the one that I will find interesting, uh, I I do find Iowa state to be an interesting potential sleeper Cinderella type pick. Uh, I don't, I I think they're super talented. I think they're going to find a way to lose three games. Like I, I just, I don't trust anything about that team. I, I think that they're ridiculously talented. They've got, you said three preseason all Americans for a reason. Like I, I, I get it. I get the hype. They're going to find a way to lose three games. I mean, they're coached by a guy that many were happy to predict as Ohio state's next head coach. Not that long ago. Like I, that's a well-coached ball club, right? Kinda, but like, they also like, again, they find a way to lose games that they should not lose. It's, it's like trestle ball, like, but more infuriating. I don't know like how much time you've spent watching Iowa state, but like it, it's I less than I am, you might assume. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I have never, I, and I was on that train for a while too, you know, like, like I, I, I really, I wouldn't have been sad. Um, if Ohio state did hire Matt Campbell, I don't dislike Matt Campbell, but like, after seeing what Ryan day does to his teams mm-hmm. and seeing what Matt Campbell's team looks like, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like if you put, if you gave Ryan day, Iowa state's roster, he's not losing by, I, I mean, he's not losing three games. And I just, I, I, I am baffled at the games that they lose. I'm baffled how they lose. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, they're well-coached. Sure. They've got some fine players, but like, they're going to find a way to lose three games. So the, the question for me would be or the scenario that I find interesting. So they're, they're, they lost three games last season, as you correctly noted. Uh, one of those was in the conference. So, so they come, you know, out of the big 12, eight and one, not bad, not bad. So what, what would be interesting to me, you know, is, is if they beat Oklahoma, you know, cause they, final standings last season Oklahoma was number six in the playoff and I think Iowa State was number nine right and so Iowa State um was ahead of Oklahoma in the conference standings of course that didn't matter so I I just will find it interesting if Iowa State can beat Oklahoma what what does that do for their their playoff chances you know and and I guess then the question is I mean, three. Okay. Obviously if they lose three games, then it's a done deal. That was kind of your, your, your line in the stand there. Um, I guess, the, I guess my, my bigger if problem, set, if you set the over under at three, I don't, you know, that'd, that'd be tough. If you set the over under take at under two, three. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 If you set it I, at I think, two, then it's interesting. I think my bigger problem with Iowa state is like, realistically, you don't just have to beat Oklahoma once you have to beat them twice. Yeah. That's because right. Oklahoma's, that's, that's Oklahoma's, right. Oklahoma's, they're not going to win or they're not going to lose enough games for, I mean, I, I think Iowa state's going to lose at least another game. I, I think they'll lose unless they go undefeated um, and they split it with Oklahoma, which I, I just don't think is realistic. I, I don't know. I, I guess that's what it comes down to, to me. It's, it's not even just asking them to beat Oklahoma because they've proven they can do that in, in a huge game that they get up and play. Like, you know, they, they can beat Oklahoma. Um, it took an absolute, like the worst defensive performance I've ever seen um, from uh, Mr. Grinch last year uh, of uh of um to for Iowa State to win it last year but I mean it, it's not impossible I I just they're not going to do it twice they didn't do it twice last year they didn't do it I twice last year yeah I think Oklahoma is a way better team so it, I mean 
you're already, if you don't think that they're going to beat Oklahoma twice, you're already giving them a loss on the season. Now, both of those games were relatively close. Like we should say, I mean, you know, so they, uh, Iowa state won by a touchdown in October at home. Uh, and then, then lost by six, I guess in the big 10 champion, big 12, big 10, uh big 12 championship game, uh, at Jerry world in Dallas. So close games, it wasn't like they got their butts handed to them. Um, their other two losses, really interesting. So on the road, by a field goal at Oklahoma State, the one that's still just, I'd have to go back and look at this to see what the heck happened. Um, was was that a forfeit game? So they lost to Louisiana in September? What oh, no, they, they lost. They lost that game. To yeah, be fair, Louisiana... 31 to 14. Yeah, it wasn't even close. To, to be fair, like Louisiana is a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, 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 that's true. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're a bad team. Down. Right. But like, no, they, they straight up lost. Like they, it wasn't even, that game wasn't even particularly close. Like they couldn't do anything on offense. Um, they, I mean, they, they lost. They got, I think they got shut down pretty much. I, I think the, the problem was they, they couldn't do anything on offense. They couldn't get the running game going. Um, you know, they, they, missed a couple key opportunities because I remember watching that game, but no, they, they, they lost, they, they got outplayed. They looked, they didn't look like the better team from start to finish and they, they just lost. So, yeah. um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's just, that's kind of, that's kind of what, what they are to me is like a team that that's fine, but like they can lose any game they play. Like, I mean, look at the scores of some of these games, like the next week they beat TCU by three, um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they played, Texas Tech within 16 points. Uh, they beat Baylor by seven. Like at, uh, tech, they beat Texas by three. Like you know, they could have lost. Just any beating of the games. hell out of it. Yeah, they're not just yeah, beating it, the hell out of the rest. It, of the it's conference. not. It's not like it's Ohio State in 2018 where they're or like you know 2017, 2018 where they're blowing these teams out and then like mm-hmm. they have one game where they everything goes wrong. Like no, it's not what this is. Like any one of these teams could have beaten them. Yeah, I'm very curious to see because of the talent that you mentioned, this will be, this will be the most talented squad squad that Matt Campbell has fielded since his time in Ames. Uh, really curiously, they've gotten, I guess you'd say they've gotten better every year. I mean, certainly his first season of three and nine, eight and five, eight and five, seven and six in 2019 was not great. And to lose the camping world bowl had to certainly be a black eye, but, uh, I, were you surprised that Campbell turned down, um, you know, NFL and it, it, in theory had some NFL coaching opportunities last season, um, declined the interview for the jets. I understand there was word on the street that he had a deal offered by the lions and later they said wasn't actually on the table. Um, I would think, you know, a nine and three win a nine and three season rather in which you beat Oklahoma in the regular season and come back to win the fiesta bowl. You know, that that's the kind of thing where you go and get paid somewhere. Right. So does this, this indicate that Campbell is a long time or is he waiting for, for Ryan day to go to the NFL so we can come back to Ohio? I mean, they're, they're not, that ship has sailed. I don't think, I don't think at this point, Ohio state's going to, going to hire Matt Campbell. Like, I, I just don't think that's realistic. Um, well, but, and I think that because I don't think Ryan day is going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. And even if they did, like they'd hire Luke fickle, they'd hire like Mike Vrabel, but like, I don't know. How worried are you about, so so since you've mentioned two of my favorite uh, non-Ohio State coaches out there coaching who have ties to Ohio State and Coach Vrabel and Coach Fickle, how how concerned are you about Fickle going somewhere other than Cincinnati in the near future? Like Cincinnati's always been this stepping stone type school. Uh, how, How concerned are you about facing a Luke Fickle as an opposing coach for Ohio State at some point in the not so distant future? Oh, that would suck. I, <laughs> I mean, it, it would, it would suck. I, I, I think he's a great coach. I think that he gets the best out of his players and it would suck to have to recruit against him and like in a real capacity. And, um, you know, if he was at a school where he presumably actually got, you know, talented play, like I, that, that would really suck. I, I do think that, um, his strength is getting, and, and always has been, even when he was at Ohio state, his strength has been, getting those kind of under the radar guys and, you know, finding those diamonds in the rough in Ohio. And so like, I'm not necessarily sure that going to Notre Dame or Michigan and fighting Ohio state for five stars is necessarily like how his talents are best served. I think Cincinnati is perfect because he can go in and he can, I mean, he can get guys like Darren Lee, like he, he begged urban Meyer to sign Darren Lee. 
um, you know, like Antonio Williams Jr. Um, um, you know, I, I don't, I, there's, there's just been a few guys that he like fought for and saw coming out of high school, the raw talent that, um, nobody else really saw. And that was kind of his, his, uh, um, his bread and butter, I guess. And so I'm not sure that necessarily it would be his strength to go to a, a bigger school where he's now has to, is, is in the realm where he's, you know, has to recruit these five-star guys. Um, I, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily know that he would leave for like a huge job, um, but I wouldn't necessarily want him to. I, I'm, I think he should stay at Cincinnati forever. I don't want to have to recruit against him. I don't want to have to play him. I, I am fine with him just enjoying all of uh, Southwest Ohio. He can have all of that. He can have Kentucky. Um, you know, he can get some three-star guys, whatever. Just stay there. And since you mentioned Mike Brable, uh, who is, you know, turned out to be a really fantastic coach, uh, he, he stays in the NFL his whole career, right? We don't, yeah, see him. I think, yeah, I we don't, so. we don't, we don't see him back in college football. I mean, you mentioned it was, you know, Ohio State would go get somebody like that, but I, I don't even think Ohio State's calling Brable's coming home, is he? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't think so. I think he, I mean, he's an NFL guy too. That's, know, that's like my he, thing. He seems like an NFL lifer to me. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think so. It would take a lot. Um, and it would take him, you know, kind of floundering in the NFL to, to come back to Ohio state. I think the, the circumstances would have to be absolutely correct for him to leave, um, the NFL, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't really see that. And again, I don't think this is a discussion Ohio State will have to have anytime soon. It just seems no. like things are, uh, are aligned for Ryan Day to be in Columbus for quite some time. Now, the other part, uh, we started this talking about your predictions for the CFP, and I don't think uh, we, we had any controversial selections there. Uh, but the other part of uh, the staff preview there was the Heisman Trophy prediction. And let's throw down your marker now. Who are you Who are you backing as the way too early favorite for the Heisman Memorial Trophy? Yeah, so everyone wants to go Spencer Rattler. That, that's, that's the pick. Um, and, like, I get it. He's, he's probably the best returning quarterback in the country, but I think that's only because everyone else has a new quarterback. Um, I think he's kind of just the default best quarterback in the country heading into the season. I'm actually going to go in the most Homer way possible, CJ Stroud. Um, And and it's not, it's not just that like I blindly think he's going to do really well. I think like Ryan day kind of hit it on the nail um, today. He said something along the lines of like, he doesn't have to do anything spectacular. Like, you know, he's got an insane offensive line. He's got the best receiving core in the country. One of the best tight ends in the country. Like, he just kind of has to exist. And so like, do I think that he in his first year starting is going to be anywhere near what Justin Fields was? Well, no, but I think, I don't really think that he needs to be either. I think that he can just go exist and throw the ball up to Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and um, you know, some of these other guys that these, these young receivers and that that's enough to at least get him in the conversation. You know, he, he can go out and he, he's in a great position. I don't, I don't think that there's a quarterback in the country that's in as good of a position in their first year as CJ Stroud is right now behind that offensive line, which is you've got arguably the two best pass protectors in the country in Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere. Um, you've got, you know, uh, um, Jeremy Ruckert is one of the best tight ends in the country, stayed in school for another year. Uh, you've got obviously the best wide receiving duo in the country. Like I, I don't think that it's a stretch to say that, you know, uh, CJ Stroud could come in and have one of the, um, the best freshman seasons in Ohio state history, just sheerly because it's so easy for him, for everybody around him. That was, I mean, you essentially described my thought process to a T because I would have also thrown down CJ Stroud as my preseason Heisman pick acknowledging you know a bit of a bit of homerism there but I wouldn't call it blind homerism in this case I would call it well-informed homerism for the reasons you outlined I mean the receiving core alone frankly is enough for me to pull the trigger on that the only the only thing that would keep me from putting Stroud's name down would be that I'd be darn tempted to put Chris Olave's name down because he, he is uh, one of the things the, one of the things that you think about with 
Heisman Trophy winners is is there's a certain amount of hype required, right? Right. And so Olave goes into the season as a as a presumptive first round pick. Olave goes into the season as a preseason All American. He goes into the season, you know, as a watch list guy. So so that to me would be the one thing that C.J. Stroud doesn't have is all that hype. Because you look at, you know, what's, wh- why are we talking about Rattler? Just because he's a returning guy. Why, why are yeah. we talking about, you know, it's, it's just and all the other guys guy. played. Like, yeah. You, you know, it, it, you've got the other guys, like at least threw a pass last year and CJ Stroud didn't throw a pass. I mean, he ran for a sweet rushing touchdown, but he didn't sure. throw a pass. So yeah, I, I think that's, what's holding him back. And I also like, I, I mentioned his scenario. Like, I also think he's really good at football. <laughs> like, like that's, uh, he's only a four star, but like he's, he was one of the, the, like late risers in the class. Like it was only a matter of time. He got his fifth star by two 24 seven sports, like in the last update. Um, he, you know, he just wasn't a composite five star, right. but like he's, he showed all the signs of kind of rising to stardom, um, you know, right before he signed with Ohio state. So like, I, I think that he is extremely talented. He was the um, elite 11, you know, he won the elite 11 quarterback competition, so I, I, I think he's extremely talented too. So and, like, and he's beaten out, you know, a couple of five star, right, yeah. five star guys for the starting job, you know, and, and it wasn't based on seniority by any stretch. Right. Cause they're all, they're all in the same boat, you know, that right. it's, it's, it's not like, Oh, this is a guy that's been riding the pine behind the starter for three years. And it's just his time to step up. No, I mean, I think this was legitimately an open competition. Um, and in the other piece there, in addition to having all of, the the strengths around him offensive line receiving core tight ends and so on ryan day is a pretty damn good quarterback coach right so he's yeah. he's in a system that is very quarterback friendly um designed to be very quarterback friendly which you know that's how you win football games and and i think you know he's in a a great position to do it if i was going to put a name down that wasn't cj stroud i'd go with chris alave i'm i'm a big alave hype man um and i think you know deservedly so that guy's really really good the only the only reason you don't pick a guy like that is because it has become um almost by default a quarterback award like you have to do something obscenely uh spectacular as a non-quarterback to win the heisman trophy in the modern era um which you know i have feelings about that but it, it is what it is you know you talk about the world as it is not the way you wish it was so yeah let's see uh, we will revisit this in a few short months and see how right or how wrong we were with that it is time for ask us anything it's a good time to remind you that the 11 dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com dry goods 11 warriors.com hats shirts stickers barware all kinds of uh, things that you need in your closet or in your life if you are a person of discerning taste you want to visit the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com all right, so uh, we have one question this um, <laughs> this episode, Kevin, and it's a deep one. This is from longtime contributor Alvin, who uh, who asks, and this is a really existential question. So I want you to prepare yourself, Kevin. Coffee or tea? Hmm. You know, so the I. I did. I would have said tea without a question. Questions has or a second hesitation until like my junior year of of um, of college, I guess. And it was purely by accident. I, I went out to um, hang out with one of my friends, and he was like, "Hey, I'll I'll buy you coffee." Or he didn't say coffee. So he said, oh, "I got you." Like we we were going, and I, I could have gotten a tea. I could have got whatever I wanted, but. He just said, you know, I'll, I'll take one black coffee and just, I, I froze and just said same. And then I realized, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't drink coffee. And it was one of those like relationships where it wasn't like, I wasn't like super comfortable with him. And so like, I didn't want to look like an idiot and be like, I, you know, I, I was stupid and I, I ordered black coffee instead that I, I ordered a drink that I don't drink just because I wasn't paying attention and just said same. So I drink the black coffee and I was like, hmm, turns out I, I can do, I can do coffee. So since then I drink coffee. Um, and so since then I would probably say coffee, but I, I love tea. I, you know, I, I would have chosen tea before that, but, um, that, that one accidental ordering of a black coffee that one time in college, uh, 
it, it did me. And so now, now I'm a coffee guy. All right. So you live in the South. I'm assuming that when you drink tea, it is heavily sweetened. Absolutely not. I don't drink sweet tea. It's disgusting. What? It tastes like sweet and sweat. What? So yeah. how, this is a thing I do not understand. Uh, I, I drink black coffee. Um, I, so my answer to the question, Alvin would be, it depends, uh, like one of the finest long running, uh, series on 11 warriors.com. My coffee or tea drinking choice is situational, uh, in that there are times. So if I'm sitting down at my dad's house for a cup of coffee to chew the fat with, uh, with, with pop and, uh, my little brother coffee black, that'd be just fine. If I'm at my little greasy spoon diner down the street here, where, where I'll go and read the morning paper and such, uh, generally it's coffee with uh, two creams, two sugars. Uh, it's also my airline coffee order as well. Uh, but I am also a, a big tea drinker like, uh, Scottish breakfast tea, um, I have to look up the name of the tea company again, these little kind of cardboard cylinder tins from a place called the Scottish grocer. Uh, but it's um, uh, Scottish breakfast tea, uh, heavy on the milk, heavy on the sugar, which I gather is how they drink it on the Island. Um, can't say I've never been there for sure, but I read that somewhere and it sounded good. So that's how I take it. But the one thing I do not understand is how people drink tea, either iced or hot uh, with the exception of green tea, which I guess I do drink green do you say you drink it black if it's green tea? I don't know. Yeah. But I've never understood unsweetened tea. I just can't, I can't do it. it, it there's, so, there's, there's nothing redeeming to me about the flavor of tea without some sugar to push it over the edge. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I would not say I said no to sweet tea. I also would not say yes to unsweet tea. Oh, okay. All right. I, so, I just, so there's I, some middle ground between the way they do it uh, in, in, in Georgia and then the way that Kevin drinks. Yeah, it. I, I yeah, get no. that. I get that. No, now that you I, say I, that, that makes I sense. Just, I just don't like, I don't like the, the regular like black, I guess it's black tea, the regular, yeah. just, just brewed black sweetened or a regular uh, brewed black um, iced tea. I, I just don't like that. I don't like that flavor. <laughs> I know I like iced herbal teas. I like iced green tea. Um, I, I like iced chai. I, I mean, uh, I'd pretty much any other tea, but that one, I, I do not do iced, not, not uh, sweet, chai, not I have unsweet. to do hot. Um, a chai tea latte is a good thing. I, yes. now I, I got exposed to this. Um, I was, I was doing some volunteering with our local library. Um, libraries are awesome. Support your local library. I was doing some volunteering at the library and one of my fellow volunteers brought back um, drinks for those of us who were working this particular, we were, we were um, doing a book sale at the, uh, farmer's market to raise money for the library. And, and so we, he brought back a tray of drinks for the volunteers and it was bubble tea. Um, mm -hmm. and, and his, uh, his father-in-law is from Taiwan and he was saying, when we go to Taiwan, this is what they drink in the summer is this iced bubble tea. They kept, he called it Bubba tea. And I'm like, well, Bubba tea where I come from is a very different thing. It's very different. Yeah. Very, very different. Have you been, have you had this, this, this bubble tea thing before? Bubble tea? Oh yeah. Bubble tea is great. You, there's tons of different flavors and stuff too. That my favorite's lavender. Uh, this was just tea flavored, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's, there's a milk and, one. you know, it was like milk and sugar. Pretty creamy. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was like a tea latte kind of deal. Yep. And, you know, so, I mean, I'd seen this before at the mall, I think at Easton there's a, um, in Columbus here, there's a Super bubble good. tea place or two. I've never been to it because, but I'd see these little things floating around at the bottom of the tea. I'm like, what is it? And I had no clue what the bubble was. And I'd never bothered to visit our nation's uh reference of record wikipedia to to look this up but they're basically just giant tapioca pearls i guess yep yep and it, it's good I, I i like bubble tea i it took me a while to have my my first bubble tea but uh yeah they, it's super good um super refreshing I, i'm good with and i like i like iced sweet teas just not black tea Alan, thanks for the question, uh, friends, that, um, that, that was pretty existential, and we would love for you to submit your questions. You can do so by emailing us, dubcast at 11warriors.com, dubcast at 11warriors.com, or hit us up on the Twitter, the uh, Twitter feed for 11dubcast, or uh, yours personally, or, or Kevin, send us your questions there, and we will get those in next week. All right, great, uh, great stuff, and a reminder to visit the dry goods store at 11 Warriors. Dot com if you didn't do so when I mentioned it earlier. All right, time for some quick cowls. Um, first off, six former Ohio State players led by Joey Boza made the NFL's top 100 players of 2021. Um, you, you know, Boza came in at number 32, uh, two spots higher than last year. I actually thought that the 
three-time pro bowler um would be higher up the list than that than, than that i guess 32 is pretty good uh that's that's not bad at all uh, likewise the guy that i i love cameron hayward checking in at number 57 i that was up 27 spots but to me hayward is a future hall of famer um it says something when ohio state's two highest ranked players in the nfl top 100 or defensive linemen that um and and make it make it uh yeah two of the top two of the top 60 in the country larry johnson pretty darn good at his job kevin don't you think yeah i mean it, and that's that ship's not ending not, anytime not soon. that hayward not that hayward was a larry johnson product i should right. i should clarify that but it just right. it, it, i still marvel at how good a run ohio state has had at, at, and, with defensive linemen i mean going back even before larry johnson but it's just been otherworldly since lj yeah. came to town and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, you'll, you'll have Haskell Garrett next year. Um, obviously the, the two five-star freshmen, you've got Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. Like I, it is, it is the, the pipeline is still going to go. Chase Young, uh, speaking of the pipeline, Chase Young, the reigning defensive rookie of the year, checked in at number 61 on the list. Corey Lindsley, uh, the, the center for the San Diego Chargers, teammate of uh, the aforementioned Joey Boza clocked in at number 60 so there were a couple teams who had multiple Buckeyes in the NFL top 100 so the Chargers with uh, Mr. Boza and Mr. Lindsley and then you also had the uh, Saints checking in with Mike Thomas uh, and and Marshawn Lattimore yeah pretty you know the New Orleans Buckeyes getting it done with with a lot of talent there um, any names that you thought might be in the top 100 uh, players there who were left off the list? Not really. I, I think I just generally thought that the guys that were on the list were a little too low. I, I thought um, that as well. And in the one that got me on that train of thought was Michael Thomas. And then, and then I realized, yeah, you know, okay, so he, I get it. He, yeah. He didn't, he didn't get a you know, full season of production last year. Um, Nick Boza being off the list kind of blew my mind. I was like, well, yeah, that, okay. that one, that one was the one. But still, that makes sense. He played two too. games last season. So, yeah. you know, it's fine. Um, I think Zeke Elliott was another one that was, he was number 24, the prior list. Um, but, you know, he didn't crack a thousand yards last year. So kind of hard to put him in the top 100. Right. Um, uh, LSU, the only other team um, to have six players on the list. Alabama led all schools with seven, of course. So, Still uh, pretty great when you see Ohio State up there with Alabama for most players in the league, and that helps the recruiting pitch. One other item before we wrap up today, the Ohio State University Board of Trustees last week approved construction of a $21.5 million lacrosse stadium. Uh, Kevin, Ohio State's athletic campus just continues to get more and more amazing. Um, Does this... um, did a $21.5 million lacrosse stadium surprise you, or is this just, you know what, Ohio State's going to do it bigger and better than everybody else? So, like, I, I, I guess it did surprise me because, like, maybe I'm missing something, but I'm pretty sure it's an outdoor stadium, right? Correct. Okay. They, they play, like, half of their games in the woody because it's too cold. So, like, what, what, what are we doing here? I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just confused as to, like – if, if they feel the need to build some facilities, build a better indoor facility for them to play and like have fans at the game and then use either, you know, Jesse Owens or the shoe for um, the, the bigger outdoor games. I, I, I guess that just kind of confused me. Um, but I mean, it's not like, I'm sure that there was some specific money donated specifically for a outdoor lacrosse. To, you know, I could have been that their hands are tied or whatever, but I, I, that just didn't seem to be like the biggest need for that program, but maybe I'm wrong. So it, it will include a heated field. Uh, so I, I don't know if that <laughs> makes a, makes a, a difference there. I don't yeah, know how, how cold does it have to be before you go from the heated field into the Woody. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what, what I think I marvel with uh, number one, it's very cool to be able to say that your own mounters building a 21 and a half million dollar uh, athletic stadium. Although I, and you're right, there probably were some donations that are, that were, were, uh, tied into that, but it's going to be pretty wild there. When you look at that 
corridor there behind the Woody. So you're going to have the, the Jennings wrestling facility as part of uh, the Covelli center there. Uh, then this new lacrosse stadium and then the Ty Tucker tennis center. So you've got three facilities there for non-revenue sports. you built in a span of what, you know, six, seven years. Um, I mean, incredible investment in the non-revenue sports, very few schools that are doing that. And, you know, I think it speaks volumes to Gene Smith and the university's commitment to, to keeping those sports at a time when other programs uh, around the country are, are cutting non-revenue sports because of some of the, you know, trends that were, were exacerbated or maybe spurred on due to, uh, due to COVID. So I, I'd say if I were a lacrosse fan at Ohio State, I'd be feeling pretty good about the future of my program right now. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Dubcast. Um, Kevin, I, I don't know about you, but it's, it's almost time. I'm, I'm feeling excited. Ohio State football is, is just around the corner. Uh, are, are, you ready for, are you ready for the season? We've got basically one more Dubcast before real football is here to talk about. I, I think at this point, I, I'm, I'm pretty ready. It's, it still feels like it's sneaking up on me, but I, I think I'm about ready. It's it, it, and I, I always have to remind myself that I suffer in misery through one preseason game, you know, in September when it's 98 degrees at high noon and you're sitting up at sea deck and you feel like you may die. Uh, because I always think about football like fall weather, right? Like yeah. that's the nostalgia feeling. And then we you remind yourself yet. those first few games, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those non conference nooners uh are are still in the dog days it feels like so but friends we are we're almost there the off season is almost behind us we'll have uh we'll have more on what to expect we'll preview the minnesota game next week so join us then along with kevin harris i'm andy vance for the 11 dubcast we'll see you then